This is the Let's Grab Coffee podcast, and I'm your host, George Khalifa. Well, George, first of all, it's an absolute honor and a pleasure to be having this discussion. Amazing. Well, um, a couple of things. So I, I think you have your coffee, first of all. I mean, it's called Let's Grab Coffee. So cheers to you if you drink coffee or tea. But it's all good. I do, actually. I just, unfortunately, I got up at 4 a.m. and I've been on back-to-back calls, calls. And I just haven't had a chance to grab my coffee yet. It's all good. It's all, we'll, we'll get there. Um, but before we started recording, I asked you how your day was going. And, and yeah. one of the things I love about you is this, there's this like endless optimism, happiness, and just like good vibe, good energy that comes from you. From someone who wakes up at 4 a.m., and we'll get to what you do, but who's obviously very busy in life, where does that source of energy come from? But I think the energy and happiness is really within us. And I think the fundamental problem is a lot of people are looking for things outside them, that something or someone is going to make them happy. If they just have this, that will somehow change their life. And what I found in this perspective is Inherent happiness is inside us. We, we can share that happiness with everyone else we love, but we can't, we can give them a remote control of our happiness. So if you say my wife makes me happy, then what you have done is just given the remote control of your happiness to her. She says happy Naveen, unhappy Naveen, happy Naveen, unhappy Naveen. She decides what she, <laughs> when you're happy or unhappy. And to me, that is really not where you want to be. You want to be at a place that even if you are, you know, in a small corner of the room, you have so much happiness in you that it doesn't matter. You're just meditating with happiness right mm. and some people who have bitterness inside them they could be in paradise and still be unhappy right and that's really the thing i found is that you know a lot of the times people are looking for when something happens to label it and we're going to get to it in a second and that to me is another thing that is source of frustration anger and uh Uh, emotional imbalance that happens when something happens we want to label it as good or bad and just by simple that label our emotional reaction to that event changes right so if someone dies right if we somehow say oh my god that was really bad then we feel sad and this and if the same event oh this dictator died we say oh that's so good Now, point is, just by labeling the same event, it changes your perspective of how you feel. So that means, and a lot of the times, what I find really fascinating is the event that happens, it may look very different Mm -hmm. today when you look back a decade from now, right? The event that you thought was the most devastating event that you grieved over for months, a decade later, you look back and say, that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Right. Imagine a breakup with your girlfriend. She was toxic. And you would, you know, you grieved for six months, even though she was toxic. And then you look and back, you're like, wow, you're, thank God. You know, yeah. Thank God. Right? You're happily married. Now you have kids and say, oh, my God, thank God. That wasn't her, right? And so my point I'm trying to make is that you can go back and look at lives. And same things, by the way, happen all the time in our lives. I mean, that was just a, you know, an easy example to give. But I think a lot of the times, I know there is this uh, great story that from the villages, my grandfather would tell that, you know, this guy who was, you know, getting old, he had a young son. And you know, everybody in the village is happy that this man is now getting older. His son is going to work in a farm. He's going to take care of him in his old age. One day, a horse is stabbed on the guy's foot. Mm-hmm. And the guy is now limping, cannot walk properly. And then everybody thinks, oh, my God, this is the worst thing that could have happened. You only have one son, can't work properly in the farm. He's not going to take good care of you in the old age. Guess what happened? A year later, there is a draft. And they came to the village and say, every single young man who can walk properly is going to the war. And the only person that left behind is his son. So the event that happened was supposed to be the worst day of his life turned out to be the best day best of day his of life God. because his son was still there, right? So my point I'm trying to make is that imagine all the different things that happened in our life that we today say, oh my God. And if you believe universe is your friend, then whatever is happening is for the best. And that simple mindset, if you can change, 
So if you are an entrepreneur, when something happens and you believe the universe is your friend, then you say, oh, thank God that happened because I don't know why, but I know it's in my best interest. So I, even though that deal that I'm so desperately wanting, there is, I'm so glad it's not happening because God or universe is looking after me because this would have fallen apart later, would have caused me a lot more grief, right? And that perspective, I think, allows us to be happy all the time. And one thing I realize is that when you wake up in the morning and you don't jump out of the bed, then whatever you're doing, you should quit that job because that's not your life's calling. When you're working on something that I call God's work, mm. and you're going to hear this from me, even though I'm not, I would say, a religious person. But to me, a God is just that, a, you know, a thing that gives you that soul energy that right. says there is something out there that I don't understand. And I call that God, call that universe you want to go out, call, call that energy, call what you want. But if you're doing the work that benefits humanity, that benefits your fellow people around the world, mm-hmm. that is the source of joy that I get every day. Hmm. There's so much in there to unpack. Now, I love the touch on perspective. I want to point out two things. Um, so a really good friend of mine actually um, is originally Indian as well. And, and yeah. one of the things uh, he actually taught me is when someone passes away in India, the perspective isn't like morbid as it would be in North America, you know, like rest in peace, sorry yeah. for your loss. Yeah. I think yeah. there's, and I'm going to paraphrase, but you're saying is basically like his time has left him or her, yeah. right? Like the, the time has just passed and everyone has that time that passes and it actually makes you more present, I think. Um, yeah. And you can correct me what that phrase is actually. But the other thing I want you to mention, because someone listening from the outside is like, well, Naveen, this is great, and I, I love the energy, but you know, you've made it in life, right? From maybe all categories that one can, can, can look at. But the one thing that if you dig deeper, it wasn't always the case, right? You came from a pretty tough village uh, in central India. Uh, your father was, was really hardworking just to even provide. Yet you and your brother, I think, both um, you went into engineering, your brother in computer sci, PhDs. You got educated. Like you, 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 I think you had this perspective even early days before all of this surfaced. Isn't that the case? You know, obviously, I think, uh, you know, we grew up very poor. There were days we didn't have food to eat. We didn't have a place to stay. We had no place called home. We moved from village to village. Uh, But to me, what really gave me the endless source of uh, optimism was the unconditional love that you receive from your parents. That means it didn't matter what was going on. You knew that's one thing you could always count on. Right. And that you know, to me is something we, you know, when, in, when we had children and these, you know, obviously our three kids have now grown up. And uh, one of the interesting things we changed our perspective on them was always about our love for you is unconditional, but our approval is not. That means I'm never going to tell you I'm proud of you until you do things that make us proud of you, but I'll always love you. I'll always be there for you, but doesn't mean I'm going to be proud of you for the actions you take, because those actions is something you should be thinking about every day. Is every action that you're taking, is it really going to improve the lives of people around you? And right. if not, now why are you doing that, right? So to me, that perspective, and you know, I think as we were talking about earlier, you know, these three kids have grown up to be just unbelievable, great entrepreneurs, right? And you could argue that you know, it's easy for me to say that I came from poverty to be able to have that hunger to go out and prove myself. And here were the three kids who grew up in absolute, uh, you know, affluence. I mean, I could argue, tell you that, you know, no, no, no. But the point is, these three kids didn't have to work for a living. There's just no two ways about it. God has been so kind to us, mm-hmm. you know, and God's kindness comes when you believe that you're simply a trustee of his kindness. That means he gave us all this because he believed we were a good steward for it to do the things that work that he wants us to do. And if you continue to do that, he continues to give more and more resources, just like your financial advisor. So if you have two brokers, the broker who performs well, you give him more money, and the broker who doesn't perform well, you take the money and give it to someone else. So when you lose money, you are simply, it's God's way of telling you, you're not performing well. 
go out and start performing well, I'll put the money right back to you, right? And so when you have something happen, just remember, that means it's your job to go out and do the right thing. Now we can talk about what that right thing really means and how you look at life and the perspective. And um, so yeah, as we go along, I'm going to guide you through because some of the principles of life that you have, once you change them as an entrepreneur, everything else will fall in place. If you want to be a successful entrepreneur, you of course want to create a massively successful enterprise that is going to be financially extreme do well, right? But remember, that is a byproduct. Byproduct of what? Doing things that improve people's life. So if you can find a way to improve 1 billion people's life, you can create a $100 billion company. But you can't go out set to create a $100 billion company. But if you stay focused every day and you say, what can I do to improve the life of a billion people? And if you do that, you will be able to create a massive enterprise. Right? And that focus, the minute it shifts to saying, how do I make more money? You suddenly start losing that part of it, right? Mm. right? Um, anyway, so let's continue to have a discussion. Otherwise, I'll go on this monologue. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it, it, it's really, and this is actually a really good segue because um, I've heard that in your previous interviews a lot. And one of the things that personally to me stands out is that mission that you're talking about is always central. Right, like it's always kind of your guiding post, your your moral compass. Yet you've you've started very very successful and and large ventures in so many different subsectors that it's almost unfathomable to think about. So if we if we fast if we look all the way back to 1996, you know you start Infospace, two years that company becomes valued at 35 billion. Um, I'm curious, and 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 you can maybe talk about what it was doing, but how, how do you go about? idea creation when you know what your moral compass is like where do you start for you in the case of let's say infospace back in 96 any company so i think you know anytime you start a company that can potentially you know be a very large successful enterprise there is a framework that i use and i am going to share that framework because i think you can apply that framework to almost everything you do and this framework is called why this why now why me? Right. And why this is the first question you ask that whatever that project is, God forbid, is actually successful in doing exactly what I'm setting out to do. Would it help a billion people live a better life? Right. So that's my first question. So, and I'm going to apply that to every company I've done. I'm going to actually apply that to my latest company that I started five years ago called Wyom. And I'm going to apply the same framework and I tell you how I came to the conclusion that I should be doing this, right? Why now is about what had changed in the last one or two years, but most importantly, what do you expect to change in the next three to five years that will allow you to solve the problem today than it was possible a decade ago. That means, are you actually using a decade-old technology to solve today's problem, or you're actually using tomorrow's technologies to solve today's problem? Mm. Right? And that means, so, and I'll apply that and you become very clear of why I mean, what, what I mean by that. The idea is COVID happened. It allows you to do things today that was not possible a decade ago or five years ago, just couldn't have done it. So if you look at these virtual conference companies, wouldn't even, nobody would say, oh, let's go have a virtual conference. Would have never. And today these companies like Hopin or stuff are worth four or $5 billion in 12 months. Something changed and they took advantage of that. And I think you can look, look at almost every type that the disruption that these things happen, there's a disruption in technology and new set of companies get created, right? So that's why now. Why me is the most important part of all the things you do in life, which is what questions am I asking that are different from what everyone else in the same industry is asking? Because the questions you ask are the problems you solve, right? That means if you're asking the same set of questions as anyone else, then you're solving the same problem in the same way, and you can be 10% incrementally better than someone else, but you will never be 10 times better. 
and which actually was the original questions you were asking me that I have done companies, this is my seventh venture in seven different industries. And my belief is the minute you become an expert in something you do, you become incrementalist or I call them useless. And the reason you become useless is because the best you can do is maybe 10%, 15% better than anyone else in the world because you are the best at it. But you'll never be able to make it 10 times or 100 times better unless you challenge the foundation of what every expert has taken it for granted. And that's where the key comes in. What experts have taken it for granted that you actually are willing to challenge? Now, if I were to apply that to my la the latest healthcare company, Wyom, our goal was really simple. What if we can prevent and reverse chronic diseases? That's it. What if the humanity could prevent and reverse chronic diseases? So I say, why this? Well, if we could solve this, would it help a billion people? Answer was 7.4 billion people, check mark. That means every single human being on planet Earth sooner or later is going to suffer from one of the chronic diseases. And if we can prevent it, it will improve everyone's life. Second thing was why now? And we realized to solve this problem, several things need to happen. You have to be able to digitize the human body. That means understand every single biochemical activities that are happening in the human body. And the cost of sequencing at that time was about $1,200 per person, for per sample. And we were absolutely convinced in the next three to five years, the cost will come down to about $100. I mean, it just, it was going to happen. Little that we know that three to five years later, it came down to about $10. And that is the power of exponential technologies that human mind cannot fathom. When I was 10 times optimistic, it turns out I was 10 times pessimistic. And there's one concept, if I may just share here, that most people will have very difficult time because human mind is designed to think linearly. Human mind is not designed to think exponentially, right? So if I were to say to you and saying, hey, George, I will give you $100 million right now. That's right. Door, door number one. Door number two, I'll give you $1 today. And I would double it every day for the next 30 days. $2 tomorrow, $4, and then $8, and then $16. In your mind, you're thinking 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, $128, $100 million, I'll take it. Without realizing on day 30, that is going to be $1 billion. Correct. Day 29, that was $500 million. You lose all that upside because you could not fathom when something or an exponential it looks nothing is happening, and then boom, it takes a knee of the That's curve. Like compound interest, right? Like the if you remember the old uh, story with the with the chessboard and the rice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was actually I believe in and, India, like where it originated as well. Yeah, and, so yeah, I didn't know that actually that story originated in India. But the point I'm trying to make is that this is the kind of things people talk about. Oh, the 3D printing right. came out of nowhere. It is so disruptive. It just started. Most people don't realize 3D printing has been there for 35 years. In fact, so much so, all patents on 3D printing have expired. Right? Mm. It started nothing. Slowly, slowly, it, boom. Where it catches on. Yeah. Like think of yeah. even Zoom, something we're using to record yeah. now, yeah. to your point, right? Like pre-COVID. I mean, everybody yeah. talks about doing meetings. But if you remember before, yeah. we would just do a call. Yeah. You know, like yeah. we, we never have to actually be on video, even if it was virtual. And yeah. we always had it at our, at our fingertips, you yeah. know, so it's. Oh, yeah. Other what I would say is like, I mean, you know, 3D printing is obviously one. But if you look at many of these technologies that looks like we're never going to succeed. Remember the Kodak. Kodak invented the digital camera. I don't think most people know that Kodak invented the digital camera. And at that point, it was 0.1 megapixel. And the scientist says, look, this technology is happening. And the next year, we can make it to be 0.2 and 0.4. And they're thinking, look at this beautiful chemical picture. Why would anybody want, you know, even if it gets to one megapixel, who cares, right? The next thing, you know, one megapixel became two next year, and the four and eight and 16. And now the cameras went out of business, right? Right. And so much so that now the camera is built into your phone and you don't even buy you a camera. Anymore. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And my point I'm going to make is that this is a kind of disruption. Anyway, coming back to the, <clears throat> the framework, 
The second thing was processing. That even if you could digitize the human body, how would you process it? Well, idea was I won't have access to supercomputers and these cloud computing are taking off. So when we started the company, we spent $40, $42 per person to just to process each person's data. We knew that this cost will come down to 10 bucks over time in the next three to five years. Today, we spend $1.50 on it, right? Just to show you that even though we think we were on the right trend, we could never ever understand how fast it was falling. We realized AI was becoming powerful, but little that we knew is you're going to become self-learning. You don't even have to feed the data to it. It's going to learn by itself, right? right? And all of those things, we realized the timing was actually now, and that's when we started the company. The most important part was why me. We realized that the, everyone in the industry was focused on understanding the genes or DNA. And it occurred to me that your DNA is static. It never changes. So if you, I measure your DNA today and then you gain 200 pounds, your DNA is still the same. Now you become depressed, your DNA is still the same. And now you have autoimmune disease. Now you have heart disease and all the diseases and your DNA is not changing. Then if your genes are not changing, then what is? Well, guess what? Your gene expression is changing. And I thought, what if we could measure gene expression? Instead of looking at genes, we're going to measure gene expression. At that time, there was early indications that microbiome in your gut were indicative of a lot of the diseases from obesity to diabetes, to uh, depression, to Parkinson's, to Alzheimer's. And now we know in all cancers are actually have microbiome inside the tumor. Now how we know how microbiome. In terms uh, of microbiomes, yeah. how are they generated? So I'm going to come back to it. But point, so uh, these microbes are, Basically, the one the, in our body, 100 trillion microbes, 39 trillion live inside our body, in our gut, just alone. On our mouth, there are trillions in our mouth alone. So every time you're eating or breathing or inhaling, you're breathing billions of them in, billions of them out, right? So these microorganisms, the first time you get the exposure is through the birth canal when baby is born. And every time you eat food, you're getting the microbiome. You inhale, you're getting the microbiome. And literally your environment, you're constantly surrounded by the microbes around you, right? In fact, this world is full of microbes. I mean, we are an anomaly. As mammals, we are the anomaly in their world, right? Just think about it. Of all the genes that are expressed in your body and my body, less than 1% come from our mom and dad. 99% of them are foreign. They are not our genes. And these are the ones that our human body actually outsource the functions that keep us healthy. So for example, we eat roots, we eat vegetables. The fiber, which makes most of these vegetables, cannot be digested by human beings. Right. They are simply there to feed these microbes in our gut. In turn, they ferment this fiber and they release these things called butyrate, which is short-chain fatty acid, which is what our body needs. That's they the produce result. the white, they produce vitamins, they produce supplements, they produce the energy for our own cell. Remember, inside the human cell, there's something called mitochondria. Mm -hmm. It has its own DNA. It used to be an ancient bacteria that's captured as an organelle inside our cell. So imagine that even our human cell is powered by this foreign organism. Wow. Very interesting. And so very interesting, right? That, and we are so proud of us as being a human being that somehow we are so superior without realizing we are basically a puppet to these puppet masters who are controlling everything, right? And if you start to think about that. <laughs> Case in point. <laughs> Like, I mean, that's literally what it is, right? And on, so it's very interesting. They found now that our organisms control our addiction, our mood, our decision making. So it's very interesting. They had, they took people who were addicted to alcohol, and all they did was change their gut microbiome, and their addiction to alcohol went away. Mm. 
They took the people who were bipolar and had autism. They took 18 kids with autism at ASU, get their microbiome transplant to them, and their symptoms of autism went away. Right. Now, start to imagine what's happening. Is if these microbes are connected to our brain through gut-brain axis, which is called vagus nerve, are they somehow, actually the vagus nerve is a string these puppet masters are using to pull our brain and telling us what to do, right? So we, to some extent, in their mind, we are the container to carry them around, trillions of them. They created us so we can go all over the world poop everywhere, spread them out, and they use us as a, essentially a vector to spread them. <laughs> when you put it this way, I'm like, damn, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, so, so, think about it. They were, they were on planet Earth three and a half billion years before we were even conceived. <laughs> that's insane. Well, one of the things I am curious about, Naveen, and if you can touch yeah. on, um, you talk about digitizing, right? The body. Yeah. So, is part of Viome first un, under like getting a, 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 maybe a snapshot of that DNA or the microbe w- within an individual body, which I'm I'm assuming is also maybe different, obviously uh, per individual. What happens after that? Are you are you basically pre- presenting solutions as to what they should do from a diet perspective? I'm just curious what what happens sure. as, as the next step there. So, so first thing, John, uh, uh, once we understand the not dna but the rna because right. remember rna tells you what is happening this is what we use is a, this four letter word that became popular very recently that we didn't know about called mrna we have been a lover of mrna for five years that's all we loved so that we were looking at the messenger rna for five years before <laughs> other people fell in love with it right so we right. were the original lover of mrna uh, that's what we analyze in your gut, which is stool, your blood, your saliva. And then we say, oh, now we know what is happening in your body. This is the foods you should be eating and why. Here are the foods you should be avoiding and why. So, for example, when we see there is a lot of sulfide production in your gut because sulfide causes a lot of inflammation, then we say, hey, George, cut down the broccoli and cabbage and Brussels sprout because they contain very high amount of sulfate and that is actually harming your body right now. So you may think you're eating your greens because your mom said, hey, eat all your veggies, you're actually harming yourself. Right. We tell you that your oxalate, path, oxalate pathways are not very active. So stop eating spinach because you're going to end up getting a kidney stone there. Even though, it's, you know, Popeye told you that spinach is healthy. Unfortunately, Popeye was not the scientist to listen and don't eat the spinach. Right. right? Because it's high in purine as an example. It leads to uric acid. Yeah. And, the, and also same type of thing, protein. You may be thinking of eating this protein to build your muscles. It's good for you. Guess what? You're not digesting it. It is actually being fermented by your gut, releasing ammonia, causing you harm. Right? So we tell you why you should not be eating this. Here are the food you should be eating. And then we take a step further. We said a lot of the nutrients are missing in your body. You need 22 milligram of elderberry every day. You need 7 milligram of curcumin every day. You need 79 milligram amylase every day. You need these all of these food extracts, vitamins, minerals, herbs. And we tell you all that. As a supplement. And yeah. as a supplement. And then... For the first time, we make the individual capsules based on what you need. So if I, this is my supplement box, literally. You open it up, magnetic box. It tells me every single thing that I need in the precise dosage. And then it makes it for me just what I need, nothing that I don't. Made every capsule is made on demand. So if we know we have 55 ingredients, we put them in these eight capsules and we put them in the right dosage for you. There is, it's not like we take one capsule that's pre-made and put them in here. No, no, no. Every single ingredient in the capsule is tailor-made for you based on what's happening. And guess what happens? And we tell you, by the way, your insights. We tell you your immune health, your mitochondrial health, your cellular health, your gut health and your biological age. And when you retest, you mm-hmm. can see the improvements for yourself. 
no longer is based on faith. It right. is based on facts, right? So you don't have to say, are they working for me? You can see them working for you. A hundred percent. It's so true. I mean, everything you said, especially in the context, I think of what's happening now, you know, post COVID, I mean, we're still in yeah. it, but, but just post pandemic in terms of what we know, health is something that I think a lot of people are much more or wanting to be more proactive about. And the, the, one of the issues is with, as you know, with, with medicine is it's so reactive. It's always like, you never go to a doctor for like proactive, mm-hmm. in some cases you do maybe for, let's say prostate, yeah. but in most mm-hmm. cases you go because there's a need. I'm sick. I have a flu. Yeah. I have a broken leg. Why, why yeah. has medicine become this way, in your opinion? First of all, is remember, our medical industrial complex, everyone makes money when you are sick. No one makes money when you are healthy. Mm-hmm. Right? So when you are healthy, your doctor gets sick because he makes <laughs> no money. Right? <laughs> so problem you have is the whole system is broken right. down because it is designed to keep you sick. So if you think about if you have a chronic disease and you are young and you find out you have a diabetes, there is somewhere in a pharmaceutical company, somebody has a touching box, lifetime subscriber coming up. Everybody said, oh, you got autoimmune disease, big touching, $100,000 a year lifetime subscriber coming up because now I'm going to give them the biologic for the rest of their life, right? And by the way, you, what biologics do is suppress your immune system. So here you have an autoimmune disease. No one wants to figure out what is causing you to have an autoimmune disease. Oh my God, that might cure it. Then how am I going to get a lifetime subscriber? No, 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 no. Let's suppress the immune system. So you suppress the symptom. Now you are customer for life. But better yet, when you suppress the immune system, now you're going to get 10 more diseases. And guess what? We got drugs for those tents. <laughs> and oh, these drugs have side effects. Now you have more diseases. But don't you worry, we got drugs for them too. Right? And as you get older, you're popping more pills and blueberries. And that's how our medical system is designed. Now imagine if you can change that system right. to simply say that every doctor will get paid monthly service as long as you have no disease. The minute you get a disease, your payment stops. Right? Now the doctor is going to be every day calling you, George. Hey, George, let's just make sure you're not eating your broccoli today. (laughs) (laughs) So my point is we have to change the incentive. And it's not that these people are bad people. Right? It is their, inse- their behavior is simply determined by the incentives we put in front of them. Right. And their incentive is to make sure you stay sick because that's the only way they can survive. What I love to, when you say in the last um, category, why me? The other thing that yeah. really stands out and stood out to me in your story, Naveen, is that same with Viome, um, same with, which we're going to get to now, um, you know, you're, you're basically... You've built the first private company called Moon Express. Yep. It's a privately held company yep. um, that that basically operates a private outer space uh, organization. You know, you leave Earth's orbit. We're going to get to kind of the the, the, the micro yep. detail here. But what I heard you say once is even with Biome, like it's not like you have a medical background. But why me yep. is because you approached it from a neutral perspective. Like nobody were asking yes. these questions previously because they're so deep yep. in the trenches that they're not. It's almost like why you'd hire a consultant, right? You come in from the yeah. outside, you're like, hold on a second. There's a clear problem right in front of your eyes, but nobody's addressing yeah. it, right? Yeah. I found that su- super interesting from your background. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, again, I, I think as most of your audience are young and entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial, one of the things I was going to bring up, even though it is nothing to do with the subject you mentioned, is just the perspective back on life. Because I find that, you know, most young people are, anytime something they try and it doesn't work, it really brings them down. And they don't, you know, they basically start to feel maybe it's not in them to actually be successful, right? So they feel that there's tremendous pressure to do things that are only going to be successful. And they don't know how to take the uh, things that don't work out. And what I realize in life is you have to believe that if you're alive 
And the only way we know we are alive is we have a heartbeat. And what does a heartbeat look like? Up and down and up and down. And that tells you you're alive. So every time you have a down, all you have to do is to hunker down and know the next beat is going to be up. Mm-hmm. And when you're on top of the beat, never get too cocky because you know the winter is coming, right? Mm-hmm. And that is the life you have to live. You never want to live a flat line life because you know when your heartbeat is flat, you're dead. So if you want to live a life that is smooth and not moving, you're living a life of a dead person. You're living a dead life that has no meaning. I love that, man. Damn, you you got me there. Like, you know, there, there were two parts. The, this one, for sure, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm about to say preach, Navi. <laughs> Throw my yeah. hand up in the sky and just say amen. But no, uh, 100%. I really, really love I've never heard that analogy before, actually. Um, and it's so true about the cop. I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard, uh, watched Narcos. But if you look at someone like Pablo Escobar, that's a perfect example. Yeah. Of you get too high on your own ego, uh, you know, yeah. or, or high on your own supply uh, as a pun. But what happens? Yes. <laughs> what happens yeah. after that is you go down, right? I think honestly, that is the trick in life: is to accept, expect, expect it, and accept it. So they expect the downs are going to happen and accept them when they happen, and they know. All that means is it suddenly everything from now on is all great, right? It is the next beat is going to be up. So always remember humility because humility is a sign of success. Humility is not a sign of a failure, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one thing we, we always taught our children was that your success will always be measured by number of lives you improve, not by the amount of money you have in the bank. Right. Your self-worth will never come from what you own. Your self-worth will come from what you create. So if you haven't created anything, you're still a parasite on humanity, right? So Mm -hmm. always go out and say, what can I contribute? What can I create that is going to create the self-worth? The other thing that I find, you know, know, when you're young is idea of falling in love with yourself. And I think this is something it took me a long time to realize that. Once you get to a point where you fall in love with yourself, I don't mean to be that you become self-conceited, egotistic like our previous president. What I mean by self-love is uh, it's purely about not looking for other people's approval, not wanting other people's approval. That means you do things that bring you joy, not because what will they say? I have no idea, by the way, a lot of the times, like at least in our Indian culture, when I was growing on, my mom, oh, don't do this. What yeah. will they say? And I said, who are they? Where are they? <laughs> where, are they? Every, where are they? Right? But honestly, this was one of the biggest things. What yeah. will they say? Right? And, I, and over time, I realized it doesn't matter what they say. Every company I started, I know what they said. They said it wasn't possible. They said you are stupid to be even going there. <laughs> they told me that it cannot be done. So I know what they say and it didn't deter me. <laughs> right? The point is that they don't care. In fact, I would tell you that's very interesting that, you know, as our, as our kids were growing up, you know, I was, you know, obviously I did, you know, in first place that I did Intel, yes, and I did TalentWise, and I did all these companies. And if you think about this is now my, you know, switch over to parenting side, and then I'm going to come back to the entrepreneurial side. Yeah. Now, it is interesting. My first company became wildly successful. And at that time, I was young. Our kids were very young. I could have easily said, hey, I'm going to now retire and spend time with my children. Right. right now, nice thing to do, and everybody would have said they they would have admired they that they would have admired that I'm spending time with my children. Now, now let's look at it from a children's perspective. Children go to school at seven thirty in the morning, and they see dad sitting on the sofa watching CNBC. They come back home, and dad tells them, "Work very hard. Hard work is what makes you successful." And they watch the dad sitting on the sofa watching CNBC. You know what they're thinking in their mind? When I grow up, I want to be just like my dad, sit on the sofa and watch CNBC. They're not listening to dad telling them work hard. Instead of dad, didn't do that. Dad, what did dad started the second company. Dad started the third company. Dad started the fourth company. And they watch me that I don't have to do that. I'm constantly doing it. 
Then they, in their mind, dad went crazy. He said, we are going to go to the moon. And they, were, they had a sit down, dad, you know you're going to burn through all your money. No one has ever gone to the moon. What are you thinking about? If you want to just simply burn the money, that's fine. Why would you want to do this? This is going to give you a bad name. Dad shows them that can be done. Now, dad does that. And now dad decides that he's going to look at the microbiome and dad is going to start a healthcare company. I swear, five years ago, kids have now grown up. They are in 40. And the kids had a sit down at a family meeting. It was a crisis family emergency meeting. Dad is 55, 56 now. Dad needs to retire. Dad should not be doing healthcare because healthcare is something where you go to go get bloodied. No one is going to solve this problem. Dad needs to just ride into sunset now. Time has come for, let's advise him to go ride into sunset. And my kids are now telling me, dad, this, I don't know what this microbiome thing you're talking about. There is no much microbiome. There is no one I talk to my doctor. They don't believe in this microbiome thing. And you're going to analyze people's stool. Nobody's going to ever do that. Dad says, great. In that case, I'm going to show you how it is being done. And now every kid, dad, you know, my friend is really had a lot of issues in their gut. Would you mind having someone look at that? Would you say that fuels huh? you? Because what I'm hearing from, from what you're saying is it, fu it fuels you a little bit when someone can tell you it doesn't. No, actually, no. In my mind, I'm not looking for the approval. For me, it was simply a way to show them that what they believe is impossible is not. I want to let them think that they need to go out and believe nothing is impossible. I'm simply a conduit to show them that I can do that. So can you. And right. guess what happened? So as I was telling you about our children, right? now they are going out and doing things that they, everyone told them can't be done, right? Now, my oldest son is running this company where they are now giving the deposit back to the renters with a $5 a month rental insurance and giving back $140 billion rental deposit back. Just simply rethinking about middle class not having the money to pay for the rent and their money sitting in the deposit, mm. right? And he said, why can't we give that back and get the insurance to the landlord and say, great, here's $5 a month you can pay. Right. My point is that he's now done his third company. The other company is on the senior care company called Sarah. And now he's building a third company called Built, which essentially is when you are renting your apartment and you're paying a rent, they won't take a credit card. Think about it. Why can't you pay on your rent and your credit card? Because there is a credit card fee. You figured out the mechanism to work with the bank. There is no credit card fee. So you can pay the rent, earn the point, and use the point to buy a house. Right? Point I'm trying to make is our daughter started a first company uh, working in a company to remove the gender bias in hiring. Now she started a women's health company to just to help the other 3.7 billion women who are just no one is focused on women's health. Our youngest one, who is also a Stanford graduate, just like his sister, Schwarzman scholar doing things that people thought weren't possible. Why is it? Because mm -hmm. we showed them, not told them. If I kept telling them, they would not believe it. The beauty of children is they don't listen to what they say. They watch what you do. Mm -hmm. right? so and this is really the very, very interesting thing is one of the guys who worked for me um, tells him one day, he said, you know, why is it I keep telling my children to go become entrepreneur and they just want to go join a company. And now how is it your kids are doing that? And I said, no disrespect to you. What did you do all your life? You worked as a middle mid manager in a company. When you came home, you told the kid how your life sucks and how much you hate, but you didn't quit your job. So when you tell your kids to become entrepreneurial, they say, dad, I saw you, you hated, but you didn't quit. So don't you tell me to be an entrepreneur. Right, they're, they're definitely watching. Right. And so, so part of part of that, um, you, you go back and, and you know you sit on the table. You tell them that I have this idea to go to the moon, right? Yeah. And, and this is like another. And I want to touch on this because obviously a very fascinating yeah. part of your yeah. story. What was the impetus of that? Like, how did you know? We talked about Viom, how that came about. We talked about a few of the other ventures. How does an entrepreneur, aside from like Elon Musk mm -hmm. and Richard Branson, yeah. how do you sit on a table and map out? You look up and you say, "I'm going to make this a reality." Actually, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just simply wanting to do that. If you think about it, we as humanity, 
7.4 billion of us are on a single spacecraft, right? We call that a spacecraft planet Earth. It is nakedly floating around in the space. If we get hit by one large asteroid, not that our planet would die, the human species will die. Right? Remember when that happened 65 million years ago. Everything got wiped out. Every, no, no, not everything got wiped Only the species got wiped away, the dinosaurs. But the planet survived. Right. Planet, in fact, survived and thrived and it created humans. Right. They right? Adopted. So think about it. Right. So my point is, to me, it is about saving the humanity by creating a multi-planetary society. And of course, the moon is a stepping stone to learn to live away from the planet Earth. And then you want to go to Mars. And then you want to go beyond our solar system. And here's why. You don't want to be on cis lunar system on the moon. Because if Earth orbit changes, our moon probably don't know what's going to happen to our moon, right? So point is, learn to live away from the planet on the moon. And as I said, why not Mars? Is if you something goes wrong, it's better to be a lunatic three days away than to be a Martian six months away, right? 100%. You can right. get back. Yeah. Right. You can get back. And but once you learn to live, and the people, the you know, the one of the things that happened was people say, Well, if you're gonna live on the moon, how are you going to grow the food on the moon? Right. And our answer was that's the wrong question that you are asking. The right question to be asking is why do we eat food? Coming back to asking the right question, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, if you ask why do we eat food? then you have many possibilities of how to solve the problem versus how to grow the food. The only solution is to find a way to grow the food. But when you ask why we eat food, we need energy. Can we get energy from photosynthesis like plants? Can we get energy from radiation just like many bacteria do in the radioactive nuclear waste? If we need nutrition, is it hydrogen? Is it oxygen? Can we get that from water, right? And the point I'm trying to make is simply asking a different question allows you to have possibilities that never existed before, right? So the going to the moon was not simply, hey, let's just go to the moon. It was about how do we do something that could fundamentally help 7.4 billion people re at least have a shot at surviving if something were to go wrong. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the way that you ask questions differently. Right, because that—that's how you get the new solutions. Back to to what you were yeah. saying. One of the things I wanted to point out on, on this episode is, in a conversation you had with Lewis House, what stood out to me the yeah. most is the cost of going yeah. to the Right. Yeah. Uh, I know the. I just I want you to talk about what it costs you versus what it cost in 1960 with a whole country and a whole government yeah. budget around it. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, at that time when we went to the moon, it was hundred billion dollar cost, right? And it took the literally the whole country came together. It was a call to arms. We have to win because Russians are, you know, out there, right? And we brought the country together uh, uh, and essentially made that happen. And we realized the cost could come down to a billion dollars. And then we thought if we could really be very creative, we could bring the cost down to $100 million. And now we know it can be done for $10 million. Right. And that to me is really the kind of thing that no one ever thought. And that is what the beauty of entrepreneurs are. Nobody ever thought you could reuse the rocket. It was just you build the rocket, rocket goes up and never comes down. And now the private companies are building reusable rockets. Right. So point I'm trying to make is that innovator innovation comes when you're willing to take risk. NASA, the motto of the NASA, if you ever gone to NASA, they have the T-shirt that says, failure is not an option. What that really means, in other words, is innovation is not an option, mm. right? Because they can't innovate if they're not willing to fail. Just to give you an idea, the Mars lander that just went up there uses 286 chip, Intel 286 chip. And I was at JPL and I'm asking the head of the Martian program, you know you can buy it. And by the way, it cost them unbelievable amount of money because to find that chip now, they can't find them. 
And I asked him, why can't you use the latest technology? He said, because it's not been tested. We, failure is not an option. That means we cannot use anything that has not been tested before. So they use something that has no power because they cannot use something new. That's incredible, Naveen. Wow. Um, listen, I mean, we, we, can, we can have a whole podcast on just space, but I know we're, we're running up on time now. Yeah. Um, and you already shared a lot of advice uh, for yeah. especially younger aspiring founders. But what would you say to you has been the most helpful, whether resource, book, um, maybe a story that has impacted you the most that you'd like to share with everyone as we wrap this up? Well, I think as we wrap up, I just want people to just dream you know, imagine what the world can be. Don't look at the world as is. Focus on what the world can be. You know, always dream about what is possible. Use the word imagine. When you use the word imagine, it opens up the possibility of what you want people to imagine. So dream so big that people think you are crazy. Right. And never, ever be afraid to fail because you only fail when you give up. Everything else is simply a stepping stone to a different idea and a better idea. And, you know, human beings fail entrepreneurial spirit. We simply adapt and change and keep moving forward. Right. right. And that to me is really the lessons. Um, and to me, you know, if you want to read a book, that's here is the book, young man. So, <laughs> okay, the, book, the book that I wrote, you can read that book. It has all my philosophies of life, how to create the world of abundance. And obviously, Richard wrote the foreword for that. So that was very nice of him. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, point I'm trying to make is that there are really lots of great advice you can get. The best advice I can tell you, uh, and if that's on my last parting words, would be never focus on the outcomes on the things you do. Outcome you can never control, but the actions you control every single day. Mm -hmm. So I always believe in this philosophy. There are only two types of things in this world, the things that are out of my control and the things that are in my control. If they are out of my control, I don't worry about it. It is what it is and it will be what will be. And if the things are in my control, then I have all I can do is take the action every single day to make that thing possible. And after that, it is what it is and it will be what will be. So focus on actions that push you forward, that push the humanity forward and let the outcome be what the outcome be. Even if you fail in your pursuit of fulfilling the taking the humanity across the finish line, there'll be someone else who's going to come along as a baton, take the baton right. from you, stand on your shoulder and take it across the finish line and humanity will be better off because of it. If you found this podcast useful, make sure to share it out with your community. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. I'll see you next time.